All right. You know, that was our idea of a great topic and a great guest. Last month's Smithsonian Magazine has someone else we may want to reach out uh, to in the world of authorship. Peter Carlson's book, an article in Smithsonian about Nikita Khrushchev, uh, uh, his tour of the United States that took place back in 1959 is probably worth talking about. The title of the book's awfully good, K Blows Top, referring to the typical headlines of the time. Subtitled, A Cold War Comic Interlude, starring Nikita Khrushchev, America's Most Unlikely Tourist. Anyway, it's a, uh, we talked about this, this book in passing uh, in previous shows. Hell of a good article in Smithsonian, highly recommend it, and we'll see if we can't put out some feelers to Peter Carlson. And one of the great authors we've had in the past, John O'Connor, whose excellent book about uh, Johannes Kepler we talked about years ago in this program. Well, I, I thought about uh, this book and, and, our, and our interview when, in the History of Science section of the current Economist, it noted that Johannes Kepler was finally getting his due 400 years late. It was in the year 1609 that he, Kepler, a German mathematician and astronomer, published Astronomia Nova, a treatise that contained an account of his discovery of how the planets move around the sun, correcting Copernicus's more famous but incorrectly formulated description of the solar system. 2009 is, of course, we would remind you, the year of astronomy. We would remind you that this year, 2009, now marks a lot of commemorations in astronomy. In fact, uh, The Economist was prompted to uh, note that Galileo was as important as Darwin. In an essay titled, In Praise of Astronomy, the Most Revolutionary of Sciences. It was 400 years ago this year that Galileo first pointed his crude telescope up to the heavens and noted that the moon looked kind of funny, appeared to have uh, these crater-like structures on them, and that Venus went through phases like the moon, and that Jupiter, in fact, had four satellites. This is not exactly news today, but 400 years ago, this was revolutionary stuff. Of course, before the year's out, we're going to do more astronomy, rest assured. I also want to take a moment to speak highly of the section the San Francisco Chronicle runs every weekend, where uh, Johnny Miller of the Chronicle takes a look at uh, the, the, the archives of the paper. This might be a good time to note that, uh, that, he, that uh, Mr. Miller noted that in 1934, the Chronicle chronicled on August 25th the first recorded use of television in astronomy. That was announced in Philadelphia when Philo T. Farnsworth, a 28-year-old San Francisco scientist, as described by the paper, uh, pointed his television apparatus skyward and... Uh, transmitted pictures of the moon. The article noted that the public has been watching the San Francisco Electric Wizard since August of 1933, when the Chronicle, in an exclusively copyrighted story, revealed his television achievements. I'd like to refer you back to a previous show, too, when we talked about Philo T. Farnsworth, the inventor of electronic television. We were joined in that discussion by our good pal, Dr. Andy Jones, who we would remind you hosts every Wednesday on KDVS, Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour. And we're proud to note we traveled down to uh, San Francisco for a commemoration of the first broadcast of television, which took place, surprisingly enough, in San Francisco. We were horrified to note that KGO Television and Radio, just around the corner from the old uh, Green Street Laboratory of Philo Farnsworth, didn't send anyone out to cover an event they should have covered, frankly. And I would highly suggest you checking out uh, that uh, reporting we did by going to our website and typing in Farnsworth. We make uh, no secret of our love of New Scientist magazine on this program. 
And it's funny how little tidbits emerge from the magazine, even in like their book reviews. The magazine gives a favorable review to a book by K.C. Cole titled Something Incredibly Wonderful Happens, Frank Oppenheimer and the World He Made Up. Frank Oppenheimer was the brother of the, his, of the better-known Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. Frank Oppenheimer, despite himself working on the Manhattan Project, got into some trouble afterwards for his suspected communist sympathies. Thankfully, Frank's career eventually recovered, unlike his brother's. What struck me in this tidbit in the magazine was the fact that, unbeknownst to me, Frank Oppenheimer was the founder of the Exploratorium in San Francisco. A wonderful, interactive, hands-on museum that if you've never been, you need to go, go see. And if you've been before, well, you need to go see again. Apparently, Fra- Frank Oppenheimer supervised the development of the Exploratorium from its conception in 1969 until his death in 1985. So, Mr. McMillan, I think we should give a round of applause to Dr. Frank Oppenheimer. Yay. We'd like to deal with the obituaries of the late, great Eunice Kennedy Shriver as well as that of Oscar-winning writer Bud Schulberg, but we unfortunately have time for neither today. We'll see if we can't get to that on next week's program. But uh, we've got about two minutes left. Let's close with uh, a science item. Citing an item in Science News, as reported in uh, The Week magazine, is the following, and you just have to love a headline like this. To wit, new respect for the spleen. Text of the text of the story. Pity the spleen, small, unromantic, and typically lumped with other vestigial organs that technically we could live without. I love this story because for the longest time, science didn't know what to make of the spleen. And since it couldn't figure out what it did, it concluded that it can't be very important. Now, until until fairly recently in science history, they didn't know what the liver did either. But they knew without one, you were a dead duck. The spleen, you could take out, and the person lived. So therefore, they concluded, can't be doing much. Well, apparently, immunologist Mikhail Pittet informed Science News that uh, the more you study the spleen, (laughs) the more you appreciate it. The spleen is considered an important part of our immune systems. We know that some processing of red blood cells goes on there and that their significant numbers are stored there. We also know that antibodies got synthesized in the spleen, but new research with mice reveals something else. The spleen stores are monocytes, important white blood cells essential to repairing heart and other tissues, and it makes them available in mass on short notice. It pains me to report this somewhat, but the researchers induced heart attacks in mice to discover that those without spleens, and thus with fewer monocytes in play, did not recover as well. So now you know, but I did like the quote from Matthias Narendorf, one of the co-authors of this study, who commented upon learning this new function of the spleen that, quote, evolution has an edge on us. I would be very careful about saying, you don't need this organ. Get rid of it. Ladies and gentlemen, words to live by. We would encourage all of you, dear listeners, to always be careful about saying, you don't need this organ. Let's get rid of it. That does it on time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm your host, Douglas Everett. Very special thanks goes today to author Pope Brock. We think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better read than Charlatan, America's Most Dangerous Huckster, The Man Who Pursued Him, and The Age of Flim Flam. 
I want to close by noting that we'd like to thank all of you who took the time to vote for us in the News and Reviews annual Best of Sacramento poll. Pretty tough for a weekly program to even get an honorable mention, but, you know, we have some high hopes. Results will be out in September. On next week's show, we're going to speak with Seth Shostak about the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in conjunction with the National Geographic special on the same topic. That's going to be fun. We'll see you then. Dress so fine, do the bumps of dime in your prime. Then you, people call, say, Beware, doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. Seem so proud about having to be scrounging 